Brian Murray is a partner and the chief operating officer of Kraft Ventures, a VC firm in San Francisco dedicated to finding and helping the next generation of world-changing companies. In our conversation, Brian shared a fascinating perspective on Bitcoin, Lightning, investing, and the ways in which the Lightning Network is going to be impactful to different sets of people all over the world. I learned a ton from the conversation and I know you guys are going to as well. Now, before we get into the show, uh, we got a giveaway this episode. Fountain has decided to uh, give away a thousand sats for any new user that starts using Fountain and listens to this show. So if you're listening right now and you're using Apple or you're using Spotify, go to the app store, download Fountain, listen to this show on Fountain, and you will receive a thousand sats uh, within 24 hours. And this is going on for the rest of March. Um, in addition, Fountain is letting me give away 50,000 sats to one listener. Um, and I'm going to pick the listener who sends in the best comment in the next 10 or 15 days uh, through the rest of March. And I will pick one at the end of March and uh, they will get 50,000 sats. So go check that out and uh, listen to this episode on Fountain if you're not already. Before we get into the show, one more quick note. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. Um, I will have more from Voltage later in the show in the Lightning Round, uh, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I have a lot of investing and Bitcoin questions for you, but to start off, how about we rewind and start with your background in Bitcoin? And maybe, maybe was there any first moment that you realized that this technology was going to be really important? Um, you know, what's interesting about my story is it was less about uh, Bitcoin itself and more about the Lightning Network that drew me in to uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And there's sort of a strange story there. Um, like, like a lot of people, I had the experience of buying some Bitcoin back in 2014 or 2015 and then foolishly selling it a year later. And then it wasn't until 2017 that... Um, we got involved with Lightning Labs, and our involvement with Lightning Labs is what opened my eyes to um, to a lot of possibilities. And specifically, it was um, there was like a question I asked myself, which was, if you could, if you could transmit any amount of value to anyone anywhere, instantly, what could you do? And that led me down like a lot of you know down the rabbit hole, so to speak. And what were some of those early things that you thought you might be able to do? if you could transmit value in any size. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're jumping right into one of like the most um, formative parts of my Bitcoin journey, which was uh, there's this guy I used to work with at Yammer, his name is Jim Patterson. And Jim and I were in Palm Springs at, at this conference, Crypto Springs. Um, that's where I first met Elizabeth Stark in person. And he and I were getting a drink and we were asking ourselves that question. And it just so happened that um, I was also involved in a, um, an AI company. Randomly, it was like this AI dentistry company. And so I learned about something called data annotation, which is how these AI models function. It's like basically a ton of humans like creating structure on unstructured data, like drawing boxes around things and feeding it into machine learning algorithms. So um, my answer to the question was, well, 
geez, if you can transmit a digital job to anyone on the planet and pay them for the completion of that job without having to, um, without them having to have a bank account, that would be insane. And, and the amount that you're paying them on a per job basis has to be really small so the incumbent financial system wouldn't work for that. Um, it could it could like completely unlock the ability to earn for a lot of the people who are most in need. Um, that was like the big that was the first big one that um, struck me. And uh, so actually, me and this guy Jim started like you know riffing on you know should we incubate something or should we what should we do? And um, I I stumbled upon this thing called LNDWork.com, which is effectively what I was talking about. And I reached out on the um, customer support chat. It's like, <laughs> who are you? How'd you come up with this? Like they were building on Lightning Labs implementation L and D, uh, and and the founder Paul Etoy responded, and he and I got on a call, and that started a friendship that's lasted the last several years, and um, and just a lot more other exciting kind of insights like that around Bitcoin and Lightning. Very interesting. So was that first use case that you were thinking of, did you have in mind something like Google CAPTCHAs where you're kind of just like clicking and selecting little images or did you have in mind like a, a bigger task that, that could be, you know, maybe you're, you're earning uh, more money that, that the fiat financial system could support or was it just entirely those super, super small tasks that couldn't be supported? Um, you know, the, the as far as my vision went was just like these jobs are micro they're little simple jobs and um if you can if you can unlock the labor pool meaning like if you can pay anyone anywhere your um the the number of people who could contribute to the supply side of this labor marketplace could dramatically increase um which gives you a lot of advantages but I wasn't thinking so deeply on like the workflow itself, like what types of jobs. I just knew that there was enough of them, that there's tons of them, and the more there are machine learning algorithms, the more demand there's going to be for this type of work. Um, but again, credit to Paul. By the way, Paul, if you do you know who Paul Etoy is? Have you heard of him? Yeah. 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 So he's he's, he's also behind in, Sphinx. Right. So stack work and Sphinx, right? Yes, exactly. This guy is like a insane. His vision is like crazy. Um, he, as part of stack work, he, he built this thing, um, I forget what he's calling it. It's like cascade is, might be what he's calling it, but he, he can take any job, like a company needs a certain thing done. And then he has a system where you can break that thing down into more incremental tasks. And then he farms them out to this like global pool of labor who just does the jobs. And then it compiles that task up into the bigger task. So his theory is that any job can be kind of like decomposed down to like atomic units and then recompiled once the job, once the individual bits are completed into the output. And it's like parallelizing job completion. So credit to him for thinking through all of that. But um, for, for me, it was just I was drawn to this idea of economic empowerment and how Bitcoin alone can can um, Bitcoin plus lightning can make that possible. Yeah. And we're starting to see some of that in play right now. We're starting to see people earn money. Um, I, I, it's Lightning as an ecosystem is still probably too small to, to matter on like a global economy, um, but it's growing quickly. I guess my next question would be how much of the, how much impact will Lightning and this ability to earn in any denomination from anyone in the world uh, at any point, um, how much impact will that have on society 
on the, the whole world? I mean, I hope a lot. I hope a lot because there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. So for one, it's not like these these people who who might be attracted to um, participating in this labor marketplace. It's not like they have no ability to make money. They have local like jobs that they could do potentially, but um, it creates a opportunity for them. It creates like a check and balance. So maybe they were being extorted in other jobs that they were participating in or not being paid fairly or whatever. But when you have a money system that can transmit the money directly, P to P, like from the supplier to the, um, the doer, uh, the worker, then, like I said, it creates a check and balance on other uh, employers. So, um, and by the way, there's a lot of extortion in these communities because these people don't have bank accounts. So the only way to get money in many cases is to have to go through somebody who has like a, an established business and now they take advantage of that, uh, of that access to the financial system. Um, so, I, you know, crypto is, there's so much going on in crypto. I don't keep track of everything that's happening, but I do, I'm sort of passionately committed to and following these um, entrepreneurs that I've kind of met through just exploration. And, and, uh, and it just sort of logically makes sense to me that this would be a good thing for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like stack work and these kind of micro tasks is something that I haven't been keeping up with enough. And I, I feel like I need to spend some time and do a deep dive on that. But I'm curious to know, do you have any uh, insight into like whether or not you think this innovation will create like full time jobs for people? Will it is it is it at that level now in some regions of the world where people can earn a full living um, or a comparable wage to what they would otherwise be able to get? Um, through some of these micro tasks? Or do you think this is going to be like a supplemental thing that people do on the side and, and can kind of like spread out across the world? Anyone can do it at any point, which means like maybe fees and the returns are typically lower and, and not quite at the level where someone can make a full-time living at it. Curious to know what you think where that ends up in a mature state. Uh, yeah, so there's a, a lot there. Number one is yes, it already is comparable to alternative employment options. Um, I think it's going to change the way people think of employment. Like rather than sitting in a box from nine to five, you sort of are uh, you have an a, an ability to earn in the sort of in between times. I I think the where this could go is that it could almost feel like a game where people have their mobile phone, and they're, it's almost like Candy Crush except they're actually like structuring, adding structure to data, which is creating value and they're earning for it. Um, I know that's something, that's a direction Paul wants to take this is like make it fun um, and make it so atomic, so like granular that people can squeeze it in wherever. And so they could do it for hours straight if they want, or they can do it while they're waiting for the bus. Um, Okay, so that's on like this micro task level. The same team yeah. is already doing this at a much higher skilled level. So they, um, as I mentioned, they built Sphinx, which is the messaging app built on the Lightning Network, and they open sourced the uh, relay mechanism, basically the protocol by which messages are, are transmitted on the Lightning Network. And that's an open source protocol, Sphinx Relay. Um, and they have basically kind of like Bitcoin itself, they encourage developers to you know, rip it apart, find bugs, whatever. And then they, um, they have bounties on those bugs that they pay out in Bitcoin through the same mechanism. So that's just a different type of work, right? It's like computer science work, uh, which is 
should be it's it's higher value so that you'll get paid more for those types of jobs but it's not that different from you know drawing a bounding box around a stop sign um in terms of like uh the the process of doing work getting paid for work and so then do you think do you think all work becomes this sort of like um you earn earn periodically for completing different tasks and not on like a salary nine to five uh stable job do you think do you think we transition um, for you know the average person working in an office, do you think maybe they can get to the point where instead they're earning four tasks and they're just like doing two or three tasks a day, no matter how long it takes them, they're just doing enough to put food on their table. Uh, do you think that's like a, a realistic outcome? Um, I don't, I, you know that if, if you had like the binary spectrum of the salaried worker to purely task-based, like paid in the moment, like we're this sort of utopian vision that we're describing, um, I don't think we'll ever trend all the way to one pole. Um, but I do think we're going to shift more towards that direction. So even the concept of gig work is more of a shifting in that direction. Um, another example that is also, I, I always find myself talking a lot about Stack and Sphinx, but... Um, Sphinx is also a big, they, they've sort of led the way in this, um, the podcasting, like streaming podcasts and streaming Satoshis, right? That's another type of like value creation. You know, it's like, it, like you, like you might have a podcast or yeah. something. And if people can stream you Satoshis for your work, which is creating that podcast, like they're not really paying you for the hours that you're sort of doing outside of it, uh, where you may not be working, but for the hours that they're consuming that content, they're paying you for it. Um, I just right. think there's going to be a lot more diverse and a more direct relationship between inputs and outputs or like work and uh, remuneration. And uh, mm. I think that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, another example that that brings up is uh, like Hollywood kind of operates in a similar way right now where you get you get paid to work on a movie. You do it. You kind of sprint and then you're, you're done and you wait for your next gig or your next role, right? Like it's a, it's a different scale for sure, but it does have some similarities there where if you're an actor, you're just looking for the next job already and, and you, I guess I could see how that, um, that could expand beyond a few industries. Yeah, just, just to get kind of meta on this whole thing, I believe for technology in general, I think um, technology desires liquidity. They, it desires efficiency. So the sort of, there's this book uh, by this author, Kevin Kelly, that says what, it's called What Technology Wants. And it sort of postulates that technology is like this living thing that's pulling innovation in a certain direction. And I would argue that that direction is largely things that make, um, make the movement of information more efficient. And uh, so all we're talking about here is like rewarding contributions in a more efficient manner. And I think, the, I think technology will reward anything that that pulls us in that direction. Mm, that's a really interesting idea. Uh, and I appreciate the book recommendation. Um, one, one, uh, one other thing this brings up now is the idea of like moving information. Uh, it, it ties in so to social media really tightly. And lightning can now be tied into social media through like something like Sphinx if you're messaging. Um, there's, we got Stacker News, that's like a Reddit style forum where you can tip in sats. Um, what impact do you think, if any, do you think, do you think Lightning has on social media? Do you think that is, is kind of going to be a, 
a, a main point to disrupt Web two platforms? Like, do you think do you think we have tools now to kind of tackle that head on and change the way social media works? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think mostly because of the the whole deplatforming issue. So. And um, let's break that down, like why that is. So in Web2, you have these, um, these uh, clearinghouses kind of of information. So the, the person who posts on Twitter or posts on Facebook, it goes to Facebook's server, and then it gets propagated out to the clients. Um, in Bitcoin and Lightning Network, it's P2P. So there's no central server from which all of the information is being cleared through. And therefore, there's no ability to censor or cancel people. You know, it's just it's its own living thing. Um, now, you can never have a messaging system or a uh, communication system, social network system on Bitcoin itself because the fees are too high. Uh, you have to wait for some, um, some number of blocks to clear before you can feel good about a transaction. But of course, Lightning addresses that, so you see things pop popping up like Stacker News, uh, Sphinx, uh, and other projects. And the, the, one of the most important parts of it is that they're uh, they cannot be censored. They can't be stopped because it's it's a peer to peer network. So it is a little interesting, you know, for people like you and I who who get excited about this future, who see it, who can actually participate it to a degree now. Um, but also knowing it's going to take so long, and there's so much inertia with the incumbent system, and you're kind of like rebuilding the internet in a in a different place, and it's just going to take some time. Um, and there's a lot of vexing challenges to get there. For instance. Get, the, you basically have a duopoly on the ability to distribute technology in the first place between Apple and Google on their uh, app stores and their operating mm -hmm. systems. So that's an, another whole interesting thing that Bitcoiners and people who, who desire this future are going to need to figure out uh, solutions around. Are there any... Um, let's, let's frame this question this way. If you could get every Bitcoin developer in the world to focus their attention on solving like a single problem or a single constraint that's limiting adoption in the ecosystem today, what would that problem be? What would that point of focus be? Um, okay, so first of all, if I could get all the core developers to work on something, I would say like, don't just keep doing what you're doing because the <laughs> most beautiful thing about Bitcoin is like the core and the culture and the, the ethos of Bitcoin and not corrupting that. So. The, even the mere question of like someone has control over these people to tell them to do something else, it's like antithetical to Bitcoin in the first place. But what I would sure. say, I wish I could take all of the developers who are working on like crazy ICO, get rich quick things, and have them shift their attention towards um, helping uh, expand the network of Bitcoin. And my view is that it's largely through layer two things like Lightning Network, um, Liquid, um, other things like that, that... Um, that expand the potential of Bitcoin, um, because it's it's just it's going to create. It already is like it's creating a. Um, if nothing else, it's creating a really good check on incumbent systems, whether that's incumbent money money systems and soon to be incumbent communication systems, and that's a good thing for the world. Now, how do you make that pitch to people working on ICOs and altcoins and other stuff like that? Uh, I imagine you get some of that at craft people pitching you on different ideas. How do you get those developers to then reframe their thinking to not go after creating new tokens and instead build on Bitcoin? Um, there's, a f there's a few uh, ways of doing that. So number one, I think 
Bitcoin almost draws, it draws the types of people that, it, that should be drawn to Bitcoin. So if you're the type of person that is drawn to like getting rich fast through an ICO or like selling some NFTs or something like that, like you probably shouldn't be working in Bitcoin, frankly. Like Bitcoin is more, you know, it's, it has this principle of low time preference, doing things right, being very thoughtful about how they're, how they're done. Um, creating something that's going to have a massive impact on the world takes time. Like these sorts of beliefs, uh, if you don't, if you don't share those beliefs, you'd probably, I don't even try to recruit people who aren't kind of like vibing with those ideas. Um, so now, now on the other hand, Bitcoin is not like some, um, uh, like esoteric thing. Now people know about it because it's so cool. It's so like impactful that it is drawing a lot of people in. And so you kind of have to find the types of builders who are drawn to the potential of Bitcoin, who really believe in it at the core, rather than just the flashy new thing that, um, you know, some VC poured a ton of money into. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question, because on the one hand, you want to attract as many developers as possible, as quickly as possible. On the other hand, you don't want to... Um, Bitcoin or the community shouldn't... Um, shouldn't like disrupt its principles for sort of short-term thinking um anyway 100 that's kind of how i feel about it yeah no i 100 percent agree um I, i'm curious to know how uh how partners at craft have changed their views on bitcoin over time like can you talk to me more about how that's evolved um when you first discovered lightning were you were you one of the only ones at craft who was like pushing for lightning were, were there others and then in the last few years, how, have, how has everyone else's views changed at the firm? Um, yeah, so, so crypto in general is not a core part of um, what we do at Craft. Like we do a lot of things. In fact, if, if there is any core thing that we do, it's um, B2B SaaS, which is pretty far from um, lightning, uh, lightning work. But um, we just happen to have developed some expertise in this area. And me personally, I've developed kind of a community of... Um, founders that I've worked with, starting with Lightning Labs. And um, so our, I think early on, it was, um, I think somebody in the firm said it well, they said it was like a moonshot on a moonshot on a moonshot that this was all going to work. Um, but the Bitcoin moonshot is playing out. Uh, the Lightning Network moonshot is early, but starting to play out. And then you have some of these layer, uh, the apps built on Lightning, like a Sphinx or a Stack, and those are starting to play out. So all of these things are starting to play out um, with gradual degrees of maturity, Bitcoin obviously being the most mature. And um, the team is all excited about it. I mean, they're seeing it happen and gaining conviction. And um, there's just more and more like sort of um, trust, like points of credibility that are lighting up. Uh, everything, yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of credit goes to Jack Dorsey. What he's been doing with um, Block and Cash App is amazing. And um, I think those types of things pull a lot of people in the right direction um, because it gives, if people aren't gonna do the work themselves, like the mental work to get to bedrock, understanding of how it all functions, then they need to kind of um, delegate some things to other people or institutions that they trust. And um, not saying that's right or wrong necessarily, but um, there's more of that that's been going on, especially recently. Mm -hmm. Now, when you guys are thinking about making an investing decision, when you, you talked about a moonshot on a moonshot on a moonshot, how do you then, 
how do you, what's that thought process like in, in terms of like, how do you decide whether to invest, what the right valuation is, when it's such a far out idea? Um, now, obviously, like it's, it's changed in the last three or four years, but back in 2018, 2019, when this was a real moonshot, what's that investment process like for you guys? Uh, well, first of all, we were fo very focused on the seed stage. So at the seed stage, it's less, um, you know, you're putting less on the line. It is, it is a smaller investment and you're kind of like seeing how things go. And um, for something like this, that gives us a lot of comfort to remain in the early stage investing. Um, but the other big thing, unlike like B2B SaaS, you can kind of like feed a bunch of stats into a machine and it'll tell you if this is, you know, going somewhere or not. But with some of these other um, Lightning or Bitcoin related companies, it's much harder to do. Um, and so the practice that we've taken is we get to know founders of these companies for a long time before we invest. This is true of um, Will at Fold. I got to know him for a long time before we uh, invested in a seed and then we led the Series A of, of Fold. This is true of Paul, like I mentioned, from Stack and Sphinx, Graham at Voltage. Um, the Nicholas and the team at uh, Galois, who are behind Bitcoin Beach, um, Alex Leishman at River. Like I got to know these people for a while before we made an investment. And what that allowed me to do is get to know them as people. How committed are they? How well do they run their business? Are they shipping code? And um, is there something real here? Like it's, hard, it's much harder for us to invest in things where it's just an idea or there's, maybe there's like a beta app, but very few people are using it those things are much more difficult for us to get behind. Mm. So you're just looking for momentum behind the founders and, and getting to know them on a personal level to understand whether or not they are ready for taking on a big task like that? Yeah, and, and um, you know, one huge mistake VCs can do is just get too excited about an idea and like invest immediately without getting to know the founder. Now, sometimes you have to do that in a very competitive investing um, landscape because it's it's its own competition like if you don't invest quickly you're going to lose out to another investor luckily for me i was kind of involved very early so i had the luxury of time to get to know these people and yes the time gave me the ability to get to know them as people which is a huge part of investing you want you want to work with founders who are high integrity who have ability to ship um, who have ability to listen and evolve their product and their team and um and to see the and to see and use the products myself, like to confirm that they are, you know, performant, functional, that other people like them, um, that that de-risks the investment massively. Right. And so now, as these companies progress and as they do follow-on rounds, what, what's your what's your thought process on whether or not you invest again in future rounds? How do you then gauge that progress? As you said, it's it's not quite as cut and dry as a SaaS business model, where you have you have clear cut like revenue numbers that you want companies to hit. Um, the Lightning business models are still being formed, it seems. So, how do you then make a decision on when you should double down and triple down on on a company? Um, yeah, I mean, this is like VC strategy. Um, there's there's a lot to this. One is that um, you kind of want founders to to feel supported going into their next round no matter what. So doing pro rata in their next round is like something that we do basically every time um, uh, as, a, as a sign of support. And then sometimes we do more than pro rata. And it, it, a lot of it depends on 
what our ownership is, what other investors are clamoring to get in. So um, like there have been some lightning companies where you know everybody wants to invest, the amount of interest is overwhelming. And if we already have decent amount of ownership, we'll scale back so that they can make room for other people who are excited about uh, participating in this next round because we've already, you know, we've got a lot of exposure to that company um, to, to be purely sort of capitalistic about the whole thing. Um, but a lot, of, it, it is a tricky part of the business and a lot of it has to do with just working with the founder and their desires for the round and um, our desires as investors to um, maintain ownership percentages and all that stuff. Right. Now, um, your, your Twitter, your bio reads that you tweet about SaaS and Bitcoin. Do you think these two worlds collide and you get to the point where, do you think a SaaS business model exists on Lightning and it becomes a, a dominant business model there? Or do you think, do you, do you think those are mostly just two separate um, spheres? No, I definitely think a, um, like Galoi, uh, I just mentioned they're the team behind Bitcoin Beach, they're, they're basically building Bitcoin banking, banking as a service, as right? So yeah. why, like maybe they charge in Bitcoin or maybe they charge in USD. I don't think that makes them more or less a Bitcoin company. It's just a function of how they fund the business through revenues. And that, that would be a su subscription business. Um, Voltage is sort of like the AWS of the Lightning Network. That'll be a subscription model. So, yeah, I just think um, subscription revenue is nice because it's recurring. It's like naturally recurring. Only if somebody decides to churn does it not recur, but um, it's a flow of funds. It's like an annuity. And uh, that's why we just in general at Craft we are so bullish on SaaS businesses because of like how durable the revenue is. And I think 100% I think that will manifest in, in um, Lightning and, and Bitcoin companies. What do you think some of those other business models might be on Lightning? Because I think some of it still has not been fully fleshed out yet. There's a lot of people trying new business models, seeing what sticks. Um, if, you had to, if you had to guess, do we, do we come up with new business models that have never before existed? Um, are, are any of these business models better than SaaS? Uh, well, for sure, there's. It's not going to be all SaaS. Like Fold, for instance, they're like a, they're you know a payments company, so they'll make money on a, uh, like a take rate, of, um, of the GMV or like the gross merchandise value flowing through their system. Um, Lightning Labs itself is still you know they've got these products called Loop and Pool that those will likely be where they monetize that business. Those are clearly not SaaS businesses. It's like a marketplace business. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot, like if I had to squint and guess what the crazy new potential business models would be, um, I'm starting to see this, this is super early, but basically um, there's this way of earning yield on Bitcoin where you would lock Bitcoin up in the Lightning Network into a node that is highly connected. And then that node rents out its liquidity through something like um, the pool, Lightning Labs pool marketplace. So now you have like a riskless way of earning yield on your Bitcoin through the Lightning Network. And um, people, you know, everybody, like so many people are hodlers anyway. What better way to hodl than to like use it to enrich the Lightning Network, which man like helps Bitcoin propagate further. And you earn, you earn fee, you earn like more Bitcoin on it. Sounds pretty good to me. Um, so that's, 
in terms of, it's not it's actually not a different business model it's still like a gmv take rate kind of thing but it's like a unique use of bitcoin itself to generate yield that could fund a business model right interesting okay so yeah it seems like there's 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 parallels to all these business models in traditional or web 2 or whatever you want to call it in that world right we have subscriptions we have uh, take rates we have yield we have banks we have a lot of these building blocks are already um, it, they already work and we already know they work but I guess it's just applying it to Bitcoin businesses um, one other interesting one that's just coming out now it's stacker news publicly shares a lot of their their metrics and and ideas and stuff like that and one thing they're working on is giving yield to all users through their job board. So as they earn revenue, it gets dispersed to all the different users of Stacker News on a like recurring basis. And it is in proportion to your reputation on the site. So if you're an active user and if you're just, you're constantly upvoting things that the rest of the community is also upvoting and you're like recognized as like a trusted source, you get a larger share of that yield which I just find fascinating. I feel like this, this is just like a, a totally new way to monetize a community and to get people on board. Um, I wonder, do, like, do you think this idea of earning yield has uh, and the ability to like, get people excited and, and rush into Lightning in the same way that they've you know, rushed into other <laughs> DeFi projects and things that promise yield in the crypto space? Yeah, you, know, you touched on something I think is a big... Um Blind spot is probably not the right word, but uh, advantage that the Ethereum ecosystem has had with their, how easy it is to create tokens and do ICOs is that um, it creates so many owners. Everybody who has one of these tokens is a part owner in that project. And uh, if those projects can um, design their token economics such that their users earn more tokens or something like that, then it's sort of self-fulfilling. Like the users are going to want to use the thing more. And you've seen some cool stuff with... Um, uh, vampire attacks where you have one project that's open source that doesn't have a token and then another project just copies it but introduces a token and pays the users in that token to use the thing and then the usage just just like instantly migrates over from one to the next um, so yeah. yes TLDR is that the ability to get creative around ownership is extremely powerful and if we can figure out a way to do that uh, in Bitcoin that would be huge uh, sounds like Stacker News is, is onto it there um, they're just using the pro. It's basically like a dividend. I, it sounds like it. You know, they're getting revenue and then they're distributing the revenue out to the um, the uh, yeah. community. So, yeah, those types of things are super interesting. Yeah, part of me starts to wonder if that if if there's a potential to do like a vampire attack on Facebook or on Twitter in that same way, where you build up this new community and it, as you if you join, you earn the revenue that that community generates in Bitcoin, and it doesn't have to introduce another token, um, and you, you still have full ownership of it. Because like, like Stacker News isn't even taking a cut on theirs right now. It's 100%, every dollar that flows in or every sat that flows in goes, blasts out to all the users. Um, but I guess it's just a, it's a longer time frame. It's not like you're getting an airdrop of a bunch of tokens on day one. It's like you're showing proof that you're a valuable member of a community. And I wonder, like, I, I kind of think that this is going to be a tool that, that we can use to disrupt 
existing social platforms. Do you do you, you in the same way? Yeah. Well, so there's the there was that um, uh, infamous project BitTorrent that got pretty close to what you're describing. I don't know if you followed that one, but basically it would. Um, they create they like automatically created social profiles for everybody based on their Twitter, and then as soon as you claimed it, you would get a bunch of like Bit um, Cloud. Oh, that tokens. wasn't BitTorrent. That was or uh, Bit, sorry, BitCloud, BitCloud, not BitTorrent. BitCloud, yeah, that's yeah, right. um, yeah, BitCloud. And uh, but I think the issue was because they had their own token, it 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 falls victim to all the issues with fiat money, which is like humans were controlling the supply of the token. They can mess with the economics as much as they say, like, you know, we're going to we're going to publish our token policy and not tamper with it. Like you can't trust it in the same way that you can trust Bitcoin. But on the downside, you can't just you can't just print Bitcoins and motivate people with Bitcoins that you just invented out of thin air. So the ICO platforms have a better bootstrap mechanism because they could just invent their tokens. Um, but it's not a hard money. You know, Bitcoin is a hard money. And um, that's kind of the challenge. It's again, it comes back to this like low time preference, build it right, take your time versus like um, uh, high time preference and you're kind of like get rich quick. I almost think of Bitcoin as like protein and some of the other projects as sugar. Like you get this like sugar rush, you can go really fast, but like is it sustainable? I don't know. Um, but that's a good analogy. I hope we can figure out for Bitcoin um, some ways to emulate some of those things into these other into these Bitcoin projects. Are there any particular mechanisms like bootstrap mechanisms that you'd like people to try that that you haven't seen tested in the community so far? Um, well, I think this I sound like like the old um, uh, austere, you know, investor here, but I think more because there's so much capital flowing in crypto generally i am noticing a lot of entrepreneurs just think they can like have an idea go out and raise a ton of money and then they'll be good and um i would like to see more founders who can grind a little bit more in the beginning to like write code themselves use night and weekends whatever get something out there that you, you can confirm that people want and then go raise some money and um it's if you can do it, like I understand if the capital is available, might as well go, go raise and sell part of your business. But in theory, if you could ship V1 of your product and prove to people that people, you know, users want to use this thing, then you should be able to raise at a higher valuation. And therefore, whatever money you raise at that point is less dilutive to you. It's less costly to you. Um, but it requires kind of the sacrifice up front to like work without, you know, bootstrap. Um, so, so my uh, my bootstrap tip is to bootstrap, in the classic mm, sense okay. of it. That's fair. Now, when you're thinking about investing in Bitcoin companies, do you draw a distinction between those building on the base chain or on Lightning? Does one is one preferable to the other? How, how do you like? Do you think about the opportunity size differently, or does does it matter at all? Um, it doesn't really matter too much i think there are interest there's just a different set of what's possible in either in either of those things like uh stack and sphinx aren't possible on layer one um right but like river does a lot of their work on layer one um so no i think it draws a different type of uh entrepreneur and it of course like i said draws a different use case of what's possible um but other than that, now I don't really like discern much between the two. 
Now, do you, how, I'm curious to know like how big you think the Lightning Network is going to become in relation to Bitcoin overall. Like I think right now it's probably a non, like it's less than 1% of Bitcoin's market cap. If you, if you asked like someone to value Bitcoin and figure out like where is its valuation coming from, I think 99 plus percent of it is coming from this store of value, you know, digital gold narrative. Um, do you think over time that Lightning and some of the interesting applications being built on it start to grow the overall addressable market for Bitcoin, like in a meaningful way where you may be down the road 10 years from now, 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 percent of Bitcoin's market cap can be then attributed to some of these applications building on layer two? Or do you think it always remains that store of value is kind of the number one use case? Uh, well, I mean, market cap is a funny term, um, but let's just say you know, there's the classic sort of um, uh, attributes of money. There's the store of value, medium, medium of exchange, unit of account. Store of value is the digital gold concept. Obviously, Bitcoin is product market fit in that, in that regard. Uh, but I just mentioned a few minutes ago about this idea of locking up part of your Bitcoin into layer two to create liquidity mm -hmm. in layer two and, and, and earn a riskless yield on it. Um, I think if, that, if we can actually manifest that concept, why wouldn't more hodlers put their, you know, rather than use something where they're like lending it out for, you know, people to use it for leverage, which is a lot of the people, the ways people earn yield on their Bitcoin today, like you're lending it into the Lightning Network to help propagate Bitcoin further. That seems like a, a much better use of, of Bitcoin. So. Um, to kind of shrink this answer down, I think Lightning unlocks the um, medium of exchange use case to make Bitcoin a real money um, and a unit of account. If people are going to use it for commerce, then it's, it's increasingly like, um, appropriate as a unit of account. And those use cases are extremely valuable. And um, if, if the liquidity um, yield concept bears out, then I think a lot of people will be storing adding contributing to lightning network liquidity with their bitcoin and therefore it's going to be a massive part of of uh the money system that is bitcoin interesting um now the unit of account side of things do you think that bitcoin becomes a unit of account through some of the bottom-up organic approaches that we're seeing right now where you know people are are pricing their they're lightning uh, channel fees in sats already. It's like that's that's the only unit that matters if you're opening a lightning channel, right? It doesn't matter how many dollars a sat is. You, you want to optimize for sats already. And there's there's a growing community of people who are optimizing for sats already and like denominating everything. Like even this podcast, when people stream in sats, I'm tracking month to month seeing that the sat value has gone up. I don't really care, obviously, what the dollar amount is, but like... I want to know that the sats are my kind of benchmark that I use. Um, but the other side of it is when El Salvador comes in and says, Bitcoin's legal tender. It's, it becomes this unit of account now. Um, do you think that we get to the stage where everyone recognizes it as a unit of account through bottom-up adoption or top-down combination of the two? 
Um, yeah, it's it'll definitely be a combination of the two. I mean, today you still pay your rent or your mortgage or your taxes in USD probably, so it's hard to escape that that reality, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but one thought experiment is to think like in the year 3000, will USD still be the um, um, you know the the standard unit of account or the global reserve currency? Um, my guess is no. And that's because, like, if you look at the history of humanity, the prevailing currencies have always shifted. And they always, you know, there's the uh, Safedean's book, the Bitcoin Standard. Um, you know, he looks through the history of monies, and you see a lot of them get corrupted through just sort of um, incentives, poor incentives with humans and pol politics and things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if that if the USD suffers in a, in a similar way, which gives rise to countries like El Salvador saying, you know, we're over this. We're going to use this other money that is immune from those types of things. And, um, but it's going to take a long time for those things to play out. So I think a lot of like, I've noticed a lot of Bitcoin maxis are, are a little too quixotic and thinking like this will all be, you know, we'll, we'll all be paying each other in Bitcoin next year. I think it's going to mm. take a long time. But the work is important, and it's really interesting, and it's a journey. And, you know, Bitcoin is inexorable. It can't be stopped. It'll just take its course, and I'm here for the ride. So in that journey from maybe, maybe it's decades, maybe we measure this in decades, maybe it's hundreds of years, where the U.S. dollar loses reserve currency status. Along that journey, how do you think about protecting yourself, Protect, like when you're when you're talking about uh, other founders building companies, how do you advise them to protect themselves? Is there is this weighing in at all in decisions today, or is this something that like if, if you're not a Bitcoin company, you're just not even thinking about today, or should do you think founders should be allocating some portion of their reserves, their the money they raise to Bitcoin? Yes, yeah, certainly, um, hundred percent Bitcoin companies should be maintaining part of their proceeds in Bitcoin. Um, 100% that should happen. But the question is how much? And so I've been, I've worked with plenty of companies on this. There's a lot of different thinking on this subject. Some people say I want to have either um, 18 months to two years of runway in, in cash and in USD, and then I'll keep the rest in Bitcoin. Um, others are more aggressive, others are less aggressive. And <laughs> for some companies, it's been like a massive, massive tailwind, right? If you had this policy years ago, you have like infinite runway. And I work with some companies in that 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 are that have found themselves in that position. Um, now, non Bitcoin or non crypto companies to do the same thing. I am just starting to see that happen, but it takes a bold founder. It takes a um, open-minded uh, board or or um, group of investors. Um, but I could, I could definitely say that. I mean, it's, everyone's a lot more confident in a bull market to do this, this stuff. So like, you know, as, as Bitcoin comes down in price and people have recently made those decisions to keep part of their treasury in Bitcoin, it's kind of a hard decision to defend. But when it's, when you're in a, a bear market or a bull market, um, uh, then everyone thinks you're a genius. So I don't know. I, I think it'll happen more and more, but it's another one of these things that'll happen uh, slowly. And does that then change the, the way you think about a business? If, if founders outside of Bitcoin start to allocate to uh, allocate part of their treasury to Bitcoin, 
do you then start to think about valuing the business differently or is that still too small of a component to matter when, when we're talking about like an early stage startup? Yeah, I think that's a that would be a derivative of, uh, you know, it starts with treasury management and then as that becomes more prominent, then maybe you start doing the funding itself in Bitcoin directly. That, that would be the next domino to fall, I'd say. And then after that is probably when you start valuing the businesses themselves in, in BTC terms. Um, maybe. I don't know. I, that seems like the logical path to me. Right. Okay. Um, now, I want to get your view on Bitcoin adoption. And I, I want to start with this broad question for you of how you measure Bitcoin adoption. What are some of the key markers that you look for? Um, I mean, I don't like, I don't sort of measure it like an economist would with some tools or something like that. I think um, I, as a proxy, I kind of just observe who's working on it, how much it's being discussed. Um, one, one interesting thing is to look at like the, the Google search trends for the word Bitcoin over time. And um, the issue is it's almost like correlated to the, uh, the market price of Bitcoin or the USD Bitcoin price, which is not a totally relevant signal because that's mostly the speculators. But, mm. um, you know, frankly, I don't, I don't worry about it too much. I don't worry about like how fast is it happening because I know it's, it's like it will happen. And... Um, I just, I, I guess I think of it more on like a uh, bottom-up approach rather than top-down. Top-down would be like uh, how many people in the world now hold Bitcoin? You know, like is that expanding? How fast is it expanding? Bottom-up is what can we do to make it easier to become a, um, to earn in Bitcoin? So something like Stack where people, their first experience with Bitcoin is through earning it, not buying it. They earn it. Um, mm -hmm. Or with like fold, they're just naturally they're going to spend money anyway, so might as well earn some Bitcoin rewards when I spend. Um, you see what I mean? Like that bottom, that grassroots um, way of looking at Bitcoin adoption is what I'm more interested in. Yeah, that's really interesting because I actually had Elise Kaline and Oleg Mikulski on previous episodes, and we we discussed earning Bitcoin as well, and they both were very bullish on the concept of it. Um, do you do you view then the, the, the next like billion people that get onboarded to Bitcoin come in through primarily through earning rather than buying? Because that seems to be a distinction between Bitcoin and other crypto assets. 100%. You earn Bitcoin and, and there's basically no other asset that you're like, I mean, you, you can maybe make some exceptions for NFTs and stuff like that. But by and large, if you're, if you're invested or, or holding another crypto asset, you've bought it or you've like, you know, bought and sold on an exchange, whereas now it seems like you're just not going to have to interface with an exchange anymore. Yeah, exactly. So the exchanges have to, they're the crossover, right? Because you have, they have to handle the bridge between uh, the incumbent ecosystem, financial ecosystem, and then crypto, because they're, they're exchanging the dollars for the Bitcoin or, you know, whatever token it is. But with earning, you're converting your energy. Like if the human is its own battery that gets energy from the sun and food, it's like converting that energy into work, which converts it into value, which is itself a battery that you can go like reuse elsewhere to, to buy things. Um, that is, um, that's a, what, Paul had a term for this. It was like a natural coiner is what he calls. Because um, they earned their Bitcoin, they became a Bitcoin through like the most natural way, which is through earning. 
And um, okay, here's another interesting thing with this model is there is one big blocker that we haven't talked about to this group. If we're going to bring it to the next billion people that don't have uh, bank accounts, they're sort of like financially disconnected. What else might they not have? Uh, phones. So how do you solve that one? Um, if you go on to stack, stackwork.com, I think there's a tab for like for workers and you'll see <laughs> this great section that says don't have a phone question mark earn one and he basically <laughs> has local dealers in these um in these countries like the philippines and argentina and, and elsewhere where they will give out these cheap android phones that have a custom version of android loaded so this is by the way this is the way how you get around the duopoly is that you you own the phones themselves in the os with uh, Stack and Sphinx preloaded on the phone, and then the only way to unlock the phone is they do the jobs, which pays off the phone, and now they have a phone and service and a communication tool and uh, the ability to earn money. Um, so That's incredible. It's so cool. It's I mean, it's such just a beautiful vision of how these, you get economic empowerment, you get um, connectivity, you get a lot of things out to the these people who need it the most. And I would much rather be focused on entrepreneurs and technology and people building to that end rather than people building to like sell a picture of their dog for a million dollars or, you know, whatever it is. Um, right. It's just so huh. much like more potential there. Right. Now, I, I want to dive into the, uh, the phone and the, the hardware component of this and whether or not, do you think that we get to the point where over time, people everywhere are using Bitcoin or Lightning phones, privacy-preserving phones. Um, this it ties in a little bit to the personal server uh, concept that Umbral and Start9 are kind of pioneering. Um, you know, it, it Impervious is building a browser. Uh, are we going to have Lightning laptops? Like, how how far do we extend into the hardware world to get? Um, to, to get adoption uh, around the world? Um, uh, so, so first of all, I don't think it's, it doesn't have to be ubiquitous. Like we don't need to dream of a future where there are as many uh, lightning phones as there are Android phones. But um, we do, I do think that there's an appetite and a strong use case for them and that they will happen. And as they happen, again, it'll create a check on the incumbent phone systems or OS's. So if like Apple and Google Duopoly are banning certain things from the App Store, but those things can't be banned in sort of the, the Bitcoin lightning uh, ecosystem of phones and apps, then it'll make them think twice like, oh, well, I'll, I'm going to lose my users to this other thing if I ban this thing that they really want. Um, so I just believe that even if all Bitcoin ever does, even if USD does survive as like the global reserve currency, um, the fact that Bitcoin exists will force them to be more careful about certain policies, uh, force the, mm -hmm. the people managing the monetary policy, because if they don't, there's this alternative that people will um, switch to. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Right. Yeah. I guess and it improves accountability all exactly. down the chain, right? It's yep. not just the USD, it's Facebook, it's Google, it's Amazon, it's every service provider in your life now has to look out because there's, there's an alternate system that people can opt out into. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on whether or not you think lightning will be more impactful to let's kind of break break the world down into like developing world and developed world where where does lightning have the biggest impact in your view over time yeah good question i think developing worlds is uh where you know like elizabeth stark will say you know i want to help bring bitcoin to the next billion and um who are the next who has the strongest use case for bitcoin it's not you and me it's people who don't have the ability to earn on their own uh or don't have the ability to um to communicate uh freely you know things like that so that's why i think the energy should be focused and um but I think it's going to come from both directions. I mean, it's such an interesting thing. And you have giant institutions. You know, one of the largest financial uh, money movers now is Cash App. And they're actively mm-hmm. uh, implementing Lightning. And so it's going to come from that direction as well. And, uh, but I think, I think the community is best off focusing on um, probably the developing world than the developed world uh, in the short term. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in, when you speak of Cash App and uh, also also Chivo is another top-down one, it's crazy to think there's there's 75 million people that have access to a Lightning, can use Lightning on their phone with the apps they have installed. Because Cash App's with 70 million people. If they have Bitcoin, they can use Lightning today. Yeah. And there's another 4 million on Chivo. It's like, we onboarded 75 million people. I mean, granted, not everyone's using Lightning and not everyone knows what it is, but they all have now the tools to use Lightning, which I never would have guessed two years before. Um, so crazy to see how fast that's happened. Yeah, that was one of, uh, when we were first digging in, um, you know, as, as investors, I made the point uh, that I think that, you know how um, you go into like a corner store or something and it'll say cash only, the sign says cash only. Yeah. And the reason they say that is because there's no credit card processing fees, so it's cheaper for them. Um, I, my view is that you know you'd start to see like crypto only or BTC only signs, and uh, the terminals would be the Square terminals, and they would have Lightning support, and then they would encourage the merchants would encourage people using paying in Bitcoin and Lightning because they just for the same reason they encouraged um, uh, uh, people the shoppers to use cash only, and some of that is starting to happen. So it's really cool to see it. Have you seen the Coin Corner Lightning card? I, I tell everyone about it. No, no, <laughs> tell me about it. It's a, it's a lightning card, like a, a physical card that you can tap as an NFC card. You can also use your phone and tap your phone at any uh, terminal. It uses LN URL and the payment is made entirely on lightning. Um, so like a coin corner merchant is effectively like using the coin corner exchange and can accept funds in whatever currency, fiat or Bitcoin or any of the other crypto assets. and. Uh, the, the person paying could also do the same. And you could even interoperate. It could be a Cash App user. Eventually, if Cash App decides to roll out a Lightning card, they can tap on a Coin Corner merchant, pay over Lightning, and the Coin Corner merchant gets the money in their preferred currency. It's just mind-blowing awesome. stuff. So they, they manage the exchange too? It, well, Coin Corner is an exchange. So okay. they are that that's their like bread and butter. And then they Got just it. built this to enter into the retail space. But I imagine like someone like Cash App or um, another big retail player could jump in and instantly turn on millions of terminals or uh, instantly issue cards to millions of 
of members if it's a bank or a financial institution. Yeah. Um, so I agree, really, really incredible um, potential there. Um, okay, I got a couple more questions for you. Um, one, so we've now talked about value creation and how, how Lightning creates value in different ways, maybe in developing and developed world. Um, do you think, I wanna talk about value capture now because when I think about the ways technology um, captures value, there's like, it, there's two kind of poles. Uh, one where you have things like Linux, you have the internet that create a lot of value for a lot of people. Basically, no value gets captured by the technology, or, or you know, it, I guess you could you could say applications built on the internet capture value. That's fine. Um, but then you have the other side where you have Facebook and Google. Uh, create a ton of value and also manage to capture a lot of that value. How do you think about, I think the Lightning Network itself obviously is not, is not capturing any, any new value. It's, it's a tool to relay Bitcoin, but what about the companies building on the Lightning Network? Do you think that any of them uh, have, like, do you think it's possible to build a business model similar to Facebook and Google where they can also capture a lot of value? Or does, be, or does the fact that they're building on Lightning make it so that they are, they have a lot more competition and it's a lot harder to build to capture as much value? Uh, yeah, super. It's a great question. And in the uh, in like Web One and Web Two, you think of the protocols like HTTP, SMTP, like these. There's not a company behind them um, that that sort of owns them or what. It was like these research projects the companies were the ones that built on top of them. Um, so, okay, if you take a Lightning Labs who created L&D, which is kind of, that's like the stand, that is the obviously the prevailing standard for the Lightning Network. Most of the Lightning Network traffic is, go, is run on L&D. Um, Lightning Labs will, is not going to monetize L&D, but they are experts at the Lightning Network and the things that are needed to operate a Lightning Network node. And so they're gonna be able to create services for people running nodes that those people are really gonna want. And maybe they'll have competitors for those services, but they also will have a massive advantage in just being like experts at this thing and understanding the nuances of liquidity management and things like that. So I'm very bullish on their ability to create products that can uh, will will develop will um, will have a business model that can fund the business, but that are products that node operators want and need to run their node on the network, um, like things like they could do it themselves, but it would just be much more convenient if they worked with um, Lightning Labs. the The best example is um, their liquidity management services with Loop and Pool. Um, okay, so that's on like the the protocol layer and then, or the platform layer, the application layer, uh, things like Fold and Stack and Sphinx, um, Galoi, they, they all have their own business models. We kind of addressed that earlier. It's like Galoi might have a recurring revenue model and um, Stack will have a model where they're, they're just, they're delivering structured data back to big businesses who run machine learning algorithms or whatever it is. Um, so I think, I think on the application layer, it'll be a lot more similar to what we see today in internet applications. On the protocol layer, it will be, for Lightning Labs specifically, it will be um, services to people running, um, to these application providers or anyone running a node on, on, um, 
on the Lightning Network. And then there's some in-betweens, like I mentioned Voltage. Um, mm -hmm. They're like nodes as a service. So that's somewhere in between an application layer and a, the, the platform or, or protocol layer. Uh, there'll be plenty of things like that. Shared Bits is another team that comes to mind that's um, uh, creating DLC. So that's like somewhere in, in between application and platform layer. So mm -hmm. I, th I think entrepreneurs are best to just be hyper-focused on solving customer problems and you will be solving some problems that your customers are willing to pay for. And um, so knowing where to apply your business model or where to monetize versus what to give away for free, so to speak, is an important question to ask yourself. Right. Um, is, is there anything that's really surprised you about the Lightning Network? This could be applications, infrastructure, growth, anything in the last three or four years of following it? Yeah, just that Elon has tweeted about this a few times that uh, money is an information system. And when Paul kind of came up with the insight of, of uh, Sphinx Chat, which is using um, the sort of memos on a lightning invoice to transmit um, messages rather than value, it occurred to me like, oh, this is all just an information system. And moving, moving data could be moving value, like UTXOs, or it could, or, or balances on a, on a lightning channel, or it could be moving messages. And that has completely changed my, like the way I grok money. Um, the other interesting thing is I, I like to, because I'm not as technical, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, coding a Bitcoin core developer or coding these apps. I have to use proxies to understand what's happening, uh, like metaphors and things like that. So for me, the Lightning Network, I always think of um, like when the United States was first being settled and you were creating these like train roads systems, these networks and, um, and how the Lightning Network is that. It's just like sort of a digital version of that. So you have highly connected nodes are creating an important real estate for themselves in this new virtual world uh, that is the Lightning Network. Um, tying that back to this whole liquidity concept, like if you create a hyper-connected node right now, which there are a lot of people competing to do this, um, there's that one like community of people who are, you know Plebnet? what I'm talking about? Plebnet, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. those people, like I wouldn't be surprised if all those people are like the future like land barons of, uh, of the new <laughs> internet because they spent the time to invest to develop the infrastructure. And, um, and, 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 and that, that infrastructure, that real estate on the Lightning Network is going to be extremely valuable uh, because it's going to, there are going to be hubs through which payments are routed. Um, and uh, anyway... It's that's been kind of a nice thing for me to to help understand this network better is to like visualize it in a more physical way. Yeah, um, I've I've also heard the analogy of like cities and that like all these hubs are just different cities on, you know, maybe it's the U.S. highway system or something like that where um, you can you can connect through to different cities and uh, I wonder if you think um, we see the same level of I, I mean. I guess if you look at the U.S. at large, the cities are are a large, uh, like in New York, for example, there's 10 plus million people in that area. Um, there's, you know, that's an enormous percentage of the whole population in New York State, in New England, in that, in, in that kind of like northeast area. Do you think that lightning has a similar level of centralization over time? Like, I don't want to call it completely centralized because there are hubs all across the nation, right? 
but in in smaller regions like some of these cities are are the single attraction that that all people flow towards all jobs flow towards um do you think I guess we see a similar level of centralization in Lightning? Uh, absolutely not. And the reason is it's um, you don't have the, uh, the friction of, of um, physicality. So in a city, like people, like they live there, they raise their families, they have all their stuff there to just say like, well, uh, this is too expensive for me, so I'm going to move to some you know, suburb. Their jobs are like, they just can't do that. But let's say in that same example where the Lightning Network is the, you know, there's some New York City of the Lightning Network where there's just a lot of activity and very short routes from one node mm -hmm. to the next. Um, well, if, if the hub of New York City starts to become too expensive, uh, it's just like the speed of light to, to find a new, a new node that is also connected to the destination node and just go the other direction. And so there will be fee markets on like these different routes and how to connect to things. So I think it's almost like if you were to put the like the time, like the progress of humanity, like put it on like fast forward and see where different like pockets of energy form and collapse and move around um, like it does move. And so I just think in the lightning network, you will have movements. They'll just be a lot faster because there isn't that friction of of uh, physicality, like I said. Mm. I was thinking more like if a single node was New York, right? Like if, if, do you think that we get to the point where there's just, you have to have a ton of liquidity, you have to have a ton of capital to become a routing, a profitable routing node. Um, if we get to the point where there's maybe all the big banks decide we're gonna be routing nodes now. Well, all of a sudden maybe it's not profitable or, you're, or you know, if you're, if you're a hobbyist node operator, do you think that pushes them to the sidelines and, and all of a sudden like capital becomes the constraint that centralizes things rather than location? Um, so Alex Bosworth writes a lot about this and this is where like the technical elements start to get above my, my um, IQ. But um, my understanding is that number one, PlebNet, like they, they've proven that you can become a hyper-connected node as just an individual pleb, like, you know, just a function of your own uh, energy and and reaching out, setting up channels with people. But let's just say there was the single node that is New York and just a zillion people are connected to it. Um, I would guess that it creates its own like congestion issues, potentially. Um, or it becomes harder to manage the liquidity of all the uh, various channels for that node. And so naturally there'll be opportunities for subnets or, or different routes around that New York City node to get to the destination more efficiently than always going through New York. Just a guess. Uh, but these will be very uh, interesting things to observe um, over time. Interesting. Okay, one final question for you. Um, we've already talked about a lot of projects building in Lightning, but is there any one in particular, maybe one that we haven't covered that you're excited about or uh, any predictions you want to share on uh, the next year for Lightning? Anything that you're particularly paying attention to? Um... Hmm. I, I, I've always loved tracking what Chris is doing with um, shared bits with DLCs. I think having oracles that you can that can serve as like a smart contract on the Lightning Network. I think that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think uh, being able to support multiple assets on the Lightning Network is another very interesting concept that I think will bear out in 2022 or maybe 2023. And that's, 
you know, now, now you're rethinking the Lightning Network as the literally the roads and not the roads and the cars. Like right now, I think people think of Bitcoin as the roads. It's like both the transmission and the actual currency that's being transmitted. But if you sort of decouple these things on, okay, the Lightning Network, these are the roads to transmit things. But what are the things you're transmitting? It doesn't always have to be Bitcoin. Um, I think that will right. be a, a major innovation in the next year or so. Very cool. Okay. Well, I really appreciate this. I feel like this was a masterclass on investing in Bitcoin and Lightning. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and Craft? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, Kevin, thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff. It is. Um, I think it's like one of the the biggest things happening in our world right now. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Murr, uh, M-U-R-R, and uh, my email is B-M-U-R at craftventures.com. So hit me up if you got questions or want to jam on Lightning stuff. But um, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of everything, all the entrepreneurs building in this space. And um, yeah, just, just love seeing how it's all transpiring. Well, I learned so much from this conversation. I hope listeners did too. And uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Awesome. Sounds Thanks good. So thanks, for, thanks for having me, Kevin. Welcome to the Lightning Round presented by Voltage. Voltage is the industry-leading provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. In fact, many of your favorite apps and services already use Voltage to scale their business quickly and easily without maintenance. Voltage also offers an inbound liquidity product called Flow, which helps you as a node operator get inbound liquidity easily. Overall, Voltage is creating the industry standard suite of non-custodial products, helping brands, engineers, and startup scale. To learn more about Voltage, visit voltage.cloud. Lightning round, here we go. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 26,479 sats, 19 different supporters, 22 different messages. Uh, real quick, let's run through the top five supporters. Thank you to everyone, but a special shout out to Mary Oscar with 7,154 sats. Anonymous user came in at 4,410 sats. Jeffrey with 3,430 sats, Peter with 2,864 sats, and Y with 2,842 sats. Now, let's get into some comments and questions, but before that, there's a really cool feature that I gotta tell you guys about. Fountain is rolling this out as we speak. It's gonna be live either right when you listen to this episode or the day after. Um, it is really cool. I've been, I've been testing this with them for the last couple weeks. Uh, and basically what it is, is cross app comments. So if you are on Fountain, you're going to be able to see a list of comments from any participant in any Lightning Podcast and 2.0 app. Someone from Breeze can write a comment on my show. It can appear publicly on my show's feed now. And someone else from Fountain can respond to that comment or create a comment of their own. It's, it's just as if you have a native comment feed like on YouTube or on Reddit, but any podcasting 2.0 app can participate in this. So it's cross app comments for podcasts, which has never existed before. It's a really cool feature. And uh, so if you're listening to the show right now on Fountain, you should be able to go into your app, open up the player, and you should see next to clip and boost, there's gonna be an icon that says comments. If you click that, you'll be able to see the comments or make a comment yourself. Uh, so definitely check that out uh, if you're on Fountain. Uh, now, let's get into the questions for this week. First, we have why. 
And Y says, Y actually sends in three questions. First says, uh, the creators need to get creative with the abundance of newly emerging tools. So much room to play and experiment, but I'm not yet seeing really out of the box gamification of micro payments. I agree. There's a lot of uh, design space here that has not been tapped into. There's a lot of potential remaining for um, gamifying payments and I think it's starting to, there are, there are some examples where I'm starting to see, see this actually happen. And I think there's going to be some really cool second order effects once more people learn about it. Uh, but one of the really cool gamification strategies is one that I've mentioned before on uh, Stacker News. They are using revenue generated by their new job board to reward all users of the platform with sats. So if a job poster goes in and pays 10,000 sats for a job posting, those 10,000 sats are now funneling back to users of Stacker News in proportion to their reputation on the site. So that one I think is a really cool example of how you can kind of like monetize or how you can kind of bootstrap a community with money at the core of it. Um, and I, I imagine this is gonna, this is gonna have some really cool second order effects and, and I, I hope it inspires other people to do uh, really interesting things. But you're right why I think, um, I think we need to do a better job of experimenting and trying new things because there will be a lot of new business models unlocked by Lightning. Uh, second comment from Y says, payments as easy as likes. If every like and upvote on the web over the last decade were worth a sat, how many Bitcoin would have flowed? That's yeah an incredible thought to think it's it's you see all these tweets getting a hundred thousand likes they go viral and and the likes are great they're a dopamine rush but you as soon as that is done as soon as that dopamine ends and you know you stop stop trending on twitter it doesn't give you it doesn't leave you with anything you don't have any money that you can then use it's your time and effort into crafting a, a funny tweet or an interesting tweet it's kind of just gone after that point. Um, obviously with lightning, you can hang on to that and you can turn that creativity and uh, all your ideas into money that can then be spent however you want. Uh, third comment from why, uh, all, all on episode 28. So why must have really enjoyed uh, the last episode uh, with Albie. Uh, he says, trying to imagine how a content creator with a massive following like Mr. Beast, PewDiePie, Mark Rober might leverage value for value and lightning to engage with their audience. Tangentially, who's the, be who's the biggest non-Bitcoin content creator whose existing formula might best take advantage of lightning, WebLN, LNURL, if only they were aware of it? That's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is I actually don't know. Uh, the first part of the question, um, how a, a content creator with a massive audience might take advantage of this um, and might use Lightning to engage with their audience. I think right now, for, for some of the, the people you mentioned, Mr. Beast, these guys with millions of subscribers and fans, I think right now we're still a little bit early for them to be able to introduce this to some of their fans. I say that, but now actually I, I kind of realize like Cash App has integrated Lightning. So if there was some interesting 
uh, gamification, some interesting video they created, um, got people involved and got people supporting. Uh, you know, th these guys have done, I know uh, Mr. Beast and Mark Rober combined to do a, um, a donation for uh, planting trees. I could easily see them doing a donation over lightning for some, some similar cause. Uh, it might be still a little bit early for that, but we're quickly getting to the point where, you know, tens of millions of people in America now have access to the Lightning Network on an installed app on their phone. Most of them is going to be Cash App, but Strike as well and a few others. Um, so that's pretty cool to see. And I imagine it's not going to be long before one of these big creators does get involved. Uh, to the second part of your question, I think the biggest non-Bitcoin content creator, I, I always, I, I just keep thinking about Joe Rogan. He seems like there, he seems like he's very aligned with the Bitcoin community on a lot of things. He hasn't expressed an interest in Bitcoin really, um, from what I've seen at least in the last uh, couple of years. But he's had on Adam Curry a few times. Um, you know, we've had Adam Curry on for talk about podcasting 2.0 and value for value. I, he's got one of the biggest podcasts. I, it kind of just makes sense that, you know, he can use the Lightning Network uh, to support himself. He's been at the center of this Spotify censorship issue. Seems like that would be the, the guy that I would, if I had to pick one kind of non-Bitcoin content creator who would leverage Lightning, I'd probably pick Joe Rogan, but uh, it doesn't seem like he's, he's quite there yet. Um, Peter then asks a question. Peter says, to grow the user base, do you think it's more important to first introduce a new user to Bitcoin in general before podcasting 2.0 or vice versa, or maybe it doesn't really matter? You know, I think the, the way that most Bitcoiners are introduced to Lightning is a very, it's a linear progression. It's a, it's a, it's a proof of work progression almost. We, we go through the process, we go through all the different hoops um, we do the work, we learn about Bitcoin, why it's important, we go buy some, uh, then we learn how to store it, then we learn how to move it to Lightning, uh, then we learn how to, how to spend money on Lightning, how to use invoices and all that. Uh, then we progress to the point where we start to, to spend it. But at that point, there's a very, um, there's an interesting, uh, it, it doesn't quite work for most people when when you go through that process and you learn about how Bitcoin is this sound money you should never let go of, and then you go to spend it, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people. Um, it, some people who love experimenting with new technology, love using Lightning. Uh, I imagine many, many listeners of this show are like that and they're fine with that and that's, that's great. They're willing to buy Bitcoin and then spend it after learning about why it's, it's sound money and it, it's... Uh, it should be held on to. Um, but I don't think that's the process that most people are going to go through when they, when, when we're talking about onboarding the next 100 million or billion people to Bitcoin. I think most of them are going to come from the direction of earning it first. So their first interactions with applications on Lightning is going to be earning Bitcoin without even having to own it themselves. And in many cases, they may not even know they're earning Bitcoin. So I think those, I think most people are going to uh, approach podcasting 2.0 and, and all the lightning apps through the lens of first earning and then uh, spending some of it and then 
the remainder they can store and then they may come to the realization after that that bitcoin is this store of value so it's kind of a reversal of the more traditional path that i think a lot of a lot of uh you know myself and i think a lot of listeners here have gone through where we we approach it from a store of value first um i think it may be reversed for for most uh future lightning users thanks again for all the questions guys uh really appreciate it and uh can't wait to see what you guys send in. I'll check the public comments feed on this episode and uh, you'll be able to see each other's comments. It'll be really cool. And I'll see you guys in a couple days.